All right, well, we're going to get into the teaching of the Word today. We are in a teaching series called Firestarter, where we are looking at the power of the spoken words that come out of our mouth. And, and so the first teaching in the series, we looked at that all of us are going to start a fire with our words. It's inevitable. We're not going to avoid it. The question is simply whether we're going to start fires of destruction or we're going to start fires of revival. And we learned how to stop and submit to the Holy Spirit before we speak rather than just asking for forgiveness after we speak. Let's stop and submit to the Holy Spirit before we speak and let the words that come out of our mouth be what He wants us to say. Then the second week we looked at that what comes out of our mouth is generally a reflection of what's already in our spirit. And especially when life squeezes us, what's inside of us is going to come out in our spoken words. And so again, rather than just trying to get better at what we say, is let's get more selective about what's feeding our spirit. And if we're more selective and we don't allow things to come in and poison our spirit, then those poisonous words won't come out of our mouths. And so we looked at trying to get things like, like gossip and, and lies and bitterness and complaining and, and negativity and um, all of those things. Get those out of our spirit and let's feed our spirit with those things that are going to make us feel more harmony and more compassion and, and more brotherly kindness and more love. And then last week, filling in for me, Doctors Mark and Val did a phenomenal job. They were just masterful last week at teaching on speaking encouragement and the power of speaking encouragement um, and even how it grieves the Holy Spirit when we don't speak encouragement. And the castles and, and Patricia gave testimony last week, and it was phenomenal. And so if you've missed any of the first three messages... Go ahead and go to our website or go to our podcast and get caught up and listen to those. Today is part four, and today's title is The Antidotes. The Antidotes. What if I told you, I feel like I'm watching one of those old movies where there's those snake oil salesmen that roll into town on a cart. Say, what if I told you that I had a medicine and an elixir that did this and this and this and People got all excited and paid a bunch of money, and it turned out to just be oil in a jar, right? Well, I'm not a snake oil salesman. I'm not selling you anything fake. But what if, what if I told you that we had a medicine, we had an elixir that could treat depression and anxiety with no side effects, that could combat stress in your life, and all the physical ailments that you're suffering from with, with stress. What if I had a, a medicine, an antidote that could heal broken relationships and could help you if you're struggling in loneliness to bond in stronger relationships and feel closer to people? What if I told you that I had a medicine like this? You'd say, yes, pastor, sign me up. That's what I want. Well, I do have just that antidote and just that medicine today. And it will probably come as no shock to you as we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving this week that that medicine I'm talking about is speaking thankfulness. It's speaking thankfulness. So let's get into our thesis today. We, we want to always try to take our sermon and boil it down to one sentence so that everybody knows what we're talking about. And so here's our thesis for today's message. Speaking thankfulness out loud is the medicine for toxic emotions. And 
it unlocks the overwhelming joy of knowing Jesus. Speaking thankfulness out loud, we're going to focus on that out loud parts, because a lot of times we'll be like, oh, yeah, of course I'm thankful. I just forget to say it sometimes. we got to say it out loud. Speaking thankfulness out loud is the medicine for toxic emotions, and it unlocks the overwhelming joy of knowing Jesus. Our text today is Isaiah chapter 12, so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 12. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay, it'll be up on the screen for you. We're going to read the entire chapter because it's a short chapter, it's only six verses long. And we just read this last month as part of our rooted Bible reading, and when I read it, I was just like, wow, what a picture of speaking thankfulness out loud. So let's jump into this, Isaiah 12, verses 1 through 6. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Whew, that's just exciting to read that. And to think about what that's declaring. If you're new with us, our sermon notes are inside of your bulletin, so you can open up your bulletin and follow along on the inside. But the first point in our notes is this. It doesn't work if it's not spoken out loud. It doesn't work if it's not spoken out loud. Listen to verse 1. It says, then you will say on that day. Listen to verse 4, and in that day you will say. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I looked up the Hebrew word for say, and you know what it means? It means to talk out loud. It doesn't work if you don't say it out loud. Other translations, depending on which translation you're reading, it might actually say, then you will sing on that day. Why is that? Because... Both in verse 1 and in verse 4, the things that are written after it are kind of in song form. And so some translators of the Bible translated that word to say, then you will sing on that day. And then it talks about the words that you will sing. But it's so important that it's actually out loud. The ancient church had a saying in Latin. And the saying was, Lex condandi, lex credendi. That's about the most Latin I've ever spoken in my life right there. But what that means, lex cantandi, lex credende, it meant the way in which we sing is the way in which we believe. The ancient church had a belief that the words that they sang in worship to God would actually shape the things that they believed. And wouldn't you know it that modern research and modern scientists have studied this and they have found this to be absolutely true. That the things that we sing out loud shape the core beliefs inside of us. But the fascinating thing about the research is this. 
is that it only works if you sing the words out loud. It doesn't work if you just listen to them. And so when we come together at church and we say, oh, well, I like being at church and I don't sing out loud. I just like to listen to the music. Well, research says that doesn't work. You got to sing it out loud. That's why it's so important that we sing together corporately because when we sing together, God is binding us together and shaping the core of what we believe and the foundations of our faith. But we've got to say it out loud. And the same thing is true when it comes to thankfulness. The transformative power of thankfulness only works when we say it out loud. We read this quote this week as we were studying for this message. The quote said this, Feeling thankful and not saying it out loud is like wrapping a present and then not giving it to anyone. Right? Hey, I I thought about somebody, and so I bought them a gift, and I took it home, and I wrapped it, and then I just left it in my house. Well, what good is that? Well, the same thing is true if you say, well, I thought about being thankful, but I didn't say it out loud. It's so important, right? Thankfulness does not come naturally to us. Think about the story in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus healed ten lepers, right? Ten lepers were gathered together in a small colony outside of the city because lepers weren't allowed inside the city. And Jesus went up and healed all of them. And they all went and presented themselves before the priest just like the Old Testament law said to. And out of the ten lepers, only one of them came back and said thank you to Jesus. The other nine Maybe they thought it, but they didn't say it out loud. It's so important that we begin to learn how to speak it out loud, to practice it, because it doesn't come naturally. But the good news is it can be developed. In fact, science has shown that thankfulness can be developed like a muscle. There was... Scientific research that was done, this was a study done in 2015, where they got 43 test subjects, and they were 43 individuals who were all diagnosed with either depression or anxiety disorder. So these were people that were struggling with mood disorders already, and they brought in these 43 subjects. Half of them, they told them to do nothing but just to go about their normal day like always. The other half, they gave them an assignment to write thankfulness letters to express to everybody how thankful they are for that person in their life. So they did this assignment. Three months later, all 43 participants came back and underwent MRI brain scans. And what they found is the subjects who went about their normal day didn't do anything out of the ordinary. Nothing had changed in their brains. But the subjects who had been writing thankfulness letters, there was actually new activity in their brains. It says this, it says, The participants who had completed the gratitude task months earlier not only reported feeling more gratefulness two weeks after the task than the members of the control group, but also months later showed more gratitude-related brain activities in the scanners. They were actually creating new functions in their brain that weren't there before. 
And so the, the writer, Christian Jarrett, uh, writing an analysis of this research, said this, and we put it up on the screen. This suggests that the more practice you give your brain at feeling and expressing gratitude, the more it adapts to this mindset. You could even think of your brain as having a sort of gratitude muscle that can be exercised and strengthened. The more of an effort you make to feel gratitude one day, the more the feeling will come to you spontaneously in the future. Right? There's a moment when I need to be strong. Of course, this is a bad analogy when I just had hernia surgery because I can't lift anything. But there's a moment when I need to be strong. There's going to be a moment where I'm going to need to lift something heavy to get a job done. And the strength is not going to come because of that moment. The strength is going to come because of all the hours I spent in the gym preparing my body for that moment. And I'm going to be strong enough to complete the task. Well, listen, there's going to be a moment when we need gratitude. There's going to be a moment when we need the medicine of thankfulness. There's going to be a moment. And in that moment that we need it, it will come spontaneously not just because we lucked out, but because we had been practicing it and developing the gratitude muscle in our brains in all of our moments leading up to that one. It doesn't work if it's not spoken out loud. Now in verse 1, it says, then you will say on that day. In verse 4, it says, and in that day, you will say. The words then and in that day are chronological words, right? And so Isaiah is prophesying here that things happen in a certain order. That means that something happened right before Isaiah chapter 12 that caused Isaiah to say, then you will speak out loud or then you will sing. So what happened right before Isaiah chapter 12? Well, let's flip back to Isaiah chapter 11, and let's see what happened. What do we read in Isaiah chapter 11? We read of Isaiah prophesying about the coming Messiah. He is prophesying about the Jesus that would come one day. He prophesied that the Messiah would come from the family line of Jesse, which we know that Jesse's youngest son was named David, and David would ascend to the throne and become king, and that Jesus would come from the lineage of David's kingdom. Isaiah prophesied that the coming Messiah would have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He said that the coming Messiah would judge the world with righteousness and that he would usher in peace. And then he prophesies that the remnant of God's people who had been scattered in captivity would be restored to Israel. Now, when you're reading Old Testament prophecy, you've got to understand that when these prophets prophesied, many of them had two fulfillments. The prophecy always had a contemporary fulfillment. That means something was fulfilled in that day, but then the prophecy could also have a messianic fulfillment or what we would call an end times fulfillment, where we would see that, prophesy, that prophecy fulfilled again in the future. Right? We see that in, for example, when Isaiah prophesied 
that a virgin would give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. That that actually had a contemporary fulfillment in the court of King Hezekiah. It wasn't an actual miraculous birth to a virgin. It was a woman in his court who was supposed to be a virgin, but ta-da, she wasn't. She had sex and got pregnant and gave birth to a son in his court and in the shame of that birth out of wedlock, named the child Emmanuel, God is with us. But that same prophecy had a messianic fulfillment because we know that Mary was a virgin and there was a miraculous birth of the baby Jesus and his name is Emmanuel, God came to be with us. Right, so you guys following me? There's a contemporary fulfillment and there's a messianic fulfillment. So with this prophecy of the remnant of God's people who had been in captivity scattered would be restored, there was a contemporary fulfillment. Those who had been taken into captivity in Assyria and those who had been taken into captivity in Babylon and who had been scattered about would be brought back. A remnant would be brought back to Israel. But there was also a messianic fulfillment in that, in that we are God's people who had been scattered. We are God's people who have been in captivity because of the sin in our lives and because we chose that sin, that we lived in the kingdom of darkness and that we were under the control of the ruler of this world, but that God came at an appointed time and restored us from our captivity and took us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his glorious son. That he redeemed us, which means he bought us back. He paid the price to purchase us so that we could walk with him. And then we get to chapter 12 where he says, then you will say. You say, well, what does all that mean, pastor? Well, in your notes it says this. It says that the gospel is the beginning of our thankfulness. The gospel comes first and then our gratitude flows from the gospel. Just like in Isaiah, the restoration came first, and then God's people would say. And so for us, the gospel comes first. So what did the people say when they had been restored from their captivity? They said, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. So in your notes, it says this, we have been moved from a place of God's anger slash punishment to a place of God's comfort slash restoration. When we hear the gospel message, which is that Jesus Christ, God, came in the flesh of a human being to live amongst us and to live a perfect life and to die on a cross and to shed his blood on that cross, to pay the price for our every sin and our every mistake, and then he rose from the dead victorious over death, which means that we can have victory over everything that we face in life. And that now, if we would make a decision to surrender our lives to Jesus as the Lord of our lives, then we would receive all of the forgiveness that he purchased for us. And in that moment, we would move from a place of God's punishment to a place of God's restoration. And that's good news. And in that place, we always have reason to be thankful. If you look down at verse 6, it calls us inhabitants of Zion. It says, cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. 
And if you don't know a lot about the Old Testament and you read that, it's like, well, what does that mean, that I'm an inhabitant of Zion, and why would that cause me to shout for joy? Well, Zion has two references in the Old Testament. It has a physical reference and a spiritual reference. The physical reference is that Zion was synonymous with Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the the capital of Israel. It was the seat of the kingdom of the kingdom of Israel. It's where God put his temple and established his name. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was put. And so in the physical, when you think of Zion, it's referring to Jerusalem. And so in the physical, it's saying, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. But Zion also had a spiritual meaning. And that spiritual meaning is that Zion represented the place of God's blessing and the place of God's presence. It's where God chose to put His blessing, and it's where God chose to put His manifest presence. So in the spiritual sense, what does it mean to be an inhabitant of Zion? It means we live in a place of God's blessing and a place of God's presence. We get to dwell in His presence and in a place of His blessings. Why? Because of the gospel. Because Jesus made a way where we were separated from God and there was nothing good that we could do to get right with God, Jesus came and paid the price to make us right so that we could live in a place of God's blessing and a place of God's presence. And all of us are inhabitants of Zion as followers of Christ. It doesn't matter where you live in the physical. You say, Pastor, my house doesn't look like a blessing. It's small and it's run down and everything's breaking. That's okay. You're still an inhabitant of Zion, which means you live in the place of God's blessing. And when we live in the place of God's blessing, we always have something to be thankful for. And you say, oh, well, you don't know, Pastor. You don't know how hard I've had it. You don't know how bad it's been. And my response would be, you know what? You're right. I don't know how bad it's been, but I do know this. It could have been worse. If not for the mercy of God, if not for the grace of God, it could have been worse. Listen, none of us deserve salvation. None of us deserve to be inhabitants of Zion. None of us deserve to live in the place of God's blessing, and yet He invites us to live there anyway. And so regardless of how difficult our situations are in life, no matter what the struggle is, if it's a struggle of poverty, if it's a struggle of brokenness in your family, if it's a struggle of sickness or illness or mental illness, or if it's a struggle of bad decisions you've made and that you can't figure out how to put your life back together, no matter what the struggle is in the physical, in the spiritual, you live in a place of God's blessings. And because of that, you always have reason to be thankful. In Christ, we already have more than we could ever deserve. From this day forward, if your life didn't get one bit better than it is right now, you still already have more than you could ever deserve. And therefore, in Christ, we always have reason to be thankful. We can always find something to be thankful for because we are forgiven and we are redeemed and we live in the place of God's blessings. So what does that mean then, the next point in your notes? It means that thankfulness is the antidote to entitlement, envy, loneliness, and bitterness. Thankfulness is the antidote. 
As followers of Christ, we all have access to abundant joy. But just because we have access to it doesn't mean that we live in it every day. We have access to it, but we got to grab a hold of it. And if the gospel is the beginning of thankfulness, then thankfulness becomes the antidote to all of these toxic emotions. Listen to this quote. Robert Emmons is a research scientist, and he's actually the foremost research scientist when it comes to studying thankfulness and gratitude. This is what Robert Emmons said. He said, gratitude blocks toxic emotions such as envy, resentment, regret, and depression, which can destroy our happiness. Listen to this. It's impossible to feel envious and grateful at the same time. It's impossible. So if you're practicing thankfulness, it's impossible to be envious. If you're practicing thankfulness, it's impossible to be bitter in that moment. If you're practicing thankfulness, it's impossible to be poisoned by regret in that moment. Thankfulness is the antidote. And so whether you struggle with entitlements, which means I always think I deserve more, and I always think that more people should do more things for me. If you struggle with envy or jealousy, where you're always looking at what somebody else has and thinking, why don't I have that life? Why don't I have that marriage? Why don't I have that kind of family? If you're struggling with loneliness, you just feel isolated and disconnected. If you're struggling with bitterness, every time you open your mouth, something negative spills out. Complaining is your primary language. If you struggle with any of these things, the antidote is thankfulness, and not just thinking about it, but saying it out loud. Amen. There you go. Listen to some of this research. This is all research. Expressing thankfulness reduces the effects of mental disorders, such as depression, anxiety, phobias, addictions, and eating disorders. Expressing thankfulness is effective in helping patients overcome PTSD. Expressing thankfulness reduces stress. Thankfulness gives you a better connection in community and relationships. Expressing thanks to one another improves the quality of relationships. And in fact, they found this even in marriages. That if husband and wife would express thankfulness to one another, not only would they feel better about each other, but they actually found that they have an easier time having difficult conversations and talking about difficult topics. Now, I'm sure none of you is as rotten as me, where you can get into a bad mood with your spouse, and all you can think about is how much they've hurt you, or how much that behavior annoys you, or how difficult they're being. And that thought process gets in and just poisons your heart. And then you don't want to talk about anything difficult because you know it's just going to turn into a nasty fight, and you're just not up for that. Yeah, it's just me. I know. Okay, but... If we could learn to express thankfulness out loud to our spouses, then when we have to have those difficult conversations and we have to bring up some tough topics that we're not in agreement on, we actually have a much better time doing it. With thankfulness, people acknowledge that the goodness in their lives 
usually comes from outside of themselves. As a result, thankfulness helps us to connect to something larger than ourselves, which obviously is God, but it's also the community. And that brings us out of loneliness and isolation and connects us to the community because we realize that the good in our lives is coming from outside of us. Really quickly, here's some more. Expressing thankfulness leads to improved sleep. We actually sleep longer and wake up more refreshed if we practice thankfulness. We actually exercise more and have to take fewer trips to the doctor and have lower blood pressure when we practice thankfulness. We experience greater satisfaction with life. We experience a greater sense of meaning in life. We experience an increase in a community service. People serve more and volunteer more when they are more thankful. Also, there is an increased likelihood that you will pay it forward when somebody does a good deed to you, when you practice thankfulness. Practicing thankfulness boosts morale and motivation. If you're a supervisor or in any sort of a leadership position at work, the greatest way to boost morale at work is to be more thankful and to express that thankfulness out loud to your employees. Expressing thankfulness increases willpower. If you just can never seem to put that donut down, come on. Practice thankfulness. It'll increase your willpower. It'll make you more forgiving and more compassionate. It'll make you more generous. It'll give you more hope. And it will cause you to be more outgoing. All of these things have been shown through research to be the end result of expressing thankfulness. And then we get to verse 3. And it says, therefore, therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. Therefore, so in your notes it says this, it says joy comes after the therefore. Therefore, what does therefore mean? It means after you do what's in the first two verses, then you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. So what were they doing in the first two verses? Expressing thankfulness out loud. Thanking God for salvation. Thanking God for taking us from a place of His anger to a place of His comfort. Thanking God for being the victory and the strength in your life. Thanking God. And then, after that, what comes? The joy comes. So what's the key to unlocking the joy? Speaking thankfulness out loud. And I love this. It says, that we will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. The reason I love this is because drawing water is work. Right? This was a desert environment. Anytime in Israel where they used a metaphor of a well, people understood that what this meant is that you had to walk outside the city in the desert. So usually they tried to do it early in the morning so that it wasn't too hot yet in the desert. But it meant you had to walk through the desert to get to the well. And then when you got to the well, you would have to pull the water up from the well, fill it into your buckets, and then you would have to carry those full buckets of water back through the desert to get back to your house so that you would have water in your house. So anytime you read a metaphor about drawing water from the well, it was work. And it wasn't fun work. And yet Isaiah says that we'll find joy, overwhelming joy, when we're doing the work of salvation. 
following Christ requires some discipline. It requires some sacrifice. It costs us some things. It causes us to do some things sometimes that we don't want to do. We have to do some things to, that, that, that force discipline into our life, and it's not always fun. But if we would express thankfulness, it would change our perspective about anything that we have to do and anything we do, any routine task, going to work, dealing with people at work, dealing with different environments that you struggle with, all of it would be filled with overwhelming joy if we would practice thankfulness. The joy comes after the therefore. Don't sit around waiting for God to drop a joy bomb on you in the midst of your complaining and bitterness and struggle. Start practicing thankfulness, and the joy will come after. Amen? Come on. Last thing in your notes. Let's read verses 4 and 5 again. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. So in verse 4, it says peoples, which means nations, which in the Israelite world was referring to basically the entire Gentile world outside of Israel. Who is that? Everybody. And in verse 5, it says throughout the whole earth. Who is that? Everybody. So who are we supposed to tell about all the great things God has done? Everybody. Listen, not just Christians, not just other followers of Jesus. Now, we can give testimony in church, and that's a good thing. And we can give testimony in belong group, and that's a good thing. But that's not the only place we're supposed to give testimony. That's not the only place that we're supposed to tell people about the great things God has done. Where else are we supposed to tell people about the great things God has done? Everywhere. At school, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, at the party, wherever you are, everywhere. Thankfulness causes us to tell everyone about what God is doing. So if we're not very good at evangelizing, it's because we're not comfortable sharing our faith in public places. And why are we not comfortable sharing our faith in public places? Because we don't naturally talk about what God is doing in our lives. And why don't we naturally talk about what God is doing in our lives? Because we don't take the time to recognize all the things that He is doing. We don't take the time to recognize everywhere that he's at work. Even as Pastor Danae was sharing during worship today that uh, she was even challenged this week to, to go back to remind herself, what is God doing? What has he done in my life? What is he doing right now? What does he promise to do in the future? The more that we recognize those things and we begin to speak thankfulness for them, then the more that overwhelming joy will flow out of us and we just won't be able to help but tell everybody the amazing things that God is doing. And it won't feel weird and it won't feel uncomfortable. It'll just come natural because we're so excited about what God is doing in our lives. We want to be better at sharing our faith? Then we practice thankfulness. And practicing thankfulness will make us better at sharing our faith. Let me invite the worship team to come back today.
Let's put this into practical application. What can we do based off of this message? If giving thanks doesn't come naturally, and if you've struggled with those toxic emotions that we've talked about, how do we begin to apply the medicine? I want to talk to you about the concept of mining. In your notes, it's the blank there in the quotation marks, mining what God is doing. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor, by mining what God is doing? Well, if you would think about mining for gold, say you were a prospector in the 1800s and the gold rush was hitting in California, and you went to California and you looked at a mountain and you knew from the research there's gold in that mountain. But if you just stand and look at the mountain, you can't see any of it. What do you got to do? You got to start mining. You got to start blasting some holes in the mountain. You got to start digging in there, finding the veins of gold that are, that are deep within the mountain. And you've got to mine them out. And you see, the same thing is true in our lives. God is doing something amazing in your life every single day. But if we just stand back and look at it from a distance, we're like, I don't see it. I don't see God at work. I don't see anything amazing happening today. So what do we have to do? We have to mine it out, which means we have to learn a discipline, either a daily discipline or a weekly discipline of reflecting on what God is doing in your life so that you can mine the things out that he's doing. So you might try to learn a new discipline of every night when you get into bed, you take a few minutes. You say, what has God done in my life that's been amazing? And it's going to be hard at first. You're going to have a hard time thinking of anything. But then you're going to pull out one small thing, and you're going to say, God did that. And you start practicing that more and more regularly. And it's going to become easier and easier to see all the amazing things that God does in your life. Maybe you practice it weekly. At the end of every week, you sit down and you say, what has God done in our lives this week? And then the second thing is write it down. Write it down. Call this gratitude journaling. Keep a journal and write down everything that God has done in your life. If you do it daily, if you do it weekly, write it down. Now, I am not a journaler personally, but I will type stuff, right? I hate handwriting, but I have, a, I have my iPad, and so I will just type notes into my iPad, and that will actually get me to journal. Write it down, and then begin to express it out loud. First, express it to God. Express thankfulness. Thank God for everything that he's doing. And then begin to express it to others. Express thankfulness to them. Thank you for being in my life. I am so grateful that God has used you in my life. And then begin to share with people the amazing things that God is doing. It's a simple practice, but it's very difficult to get into a regular discipline. But I want to encourage us all to try it. I'm going to try it. I've never kept a gratitude journal before, but I'm going to start now, and I'm going to begin to try it and see how God begins to transform my character and my nature and how the overwhelming joy begins to flow out of my life and how I'll become more comfortable speaking of the great things that God is doing. As we finish today, rather than closing in prayer, I'm actually not going to invite the prayer team to come up. Rather than praying about this is we're going to practice it. So I'm going to ask the ushers right now to begin to distribute those. Everybody, I want everyone to end up with a card and an envelope. You're going to end up with a little postcard size note card and an envelope. And so as they distribute these, 
Just make sure you end up with one of each. Doesn't matter what color. They're all fun, bright colors. And here's what we're going to do for our closing time. Worship team's going to play a song. And it may not be a song you've ever heard before, but that's okay because the point today is not to sing along with the song. As they're playing, I want each of us to ask God, who can I express thankfulness to right now? Who can I share a word of encouragement with right now? And so we can take from Mark and Val's message last Sunday, and we can take from this message today. And if God puts that person on your heart, I shouldn't say if, I should say when God puts that person on your heart. I want you to write a note, a note of gratitude, a note of encouragement to that person. Put that card in the envelope, write the person's name on the envelope. If that person is here today, then I want you to just go hand it to them after church and say, God just wanted me to share gratitude with you. If the person's not here today, you can mail it to them. Maybe it's somebody at work. You could take it to work tomorrow and give it to them. But this is just a practice. And what I want you to notice is back on our Welcome Center from now on, these bright cards and these bright envelopes will always be on the Welcome Center. And I want us to begin as a church to begin to cultivate the culture of gratitude and the culture of encouragement. Anytime you're at church, grab one of those cards and write a note to somebody. And let's just begin to share these notes of encouragement and let's see it transform our culture and how we feel about one another and how we propel one another towards greatness in God. Amen? Amen. So if you've got your cards already, that's great. You can begin praying. If you haven't got your cards yet, don't worry. They're coming your way here soon. God, we thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you knew before time even began what scientists are learning today. And that is the powerful of thankfulness spoken out loud. So God, would you help us? God, where it doesn't come naturally, Lord, we give ourselves to you. That, Lord, we would begin to learn this discipline of thankfulness. And I thank you, Lord, for the antidote, for the medicine that is going to be spread all throughout our congregation. And, Lord, let it spread from here and let it begin to spread over the island. Gratitude, thankfulness, encouragement being spoken out. I pray today for anybody who is here who has not made the decision to surrender their life to Jesus, that this would be the moment. This would be the moment they realize that, Lord, you have everything they've ever been longing for and that you paid the price so that they could be forgiven and live in the place of your blessing. So, God, I pray right now for those that are making a decision to give their life to you. God, use this time today. Use this exercise even now that we're practicing. To, God, just to take our culture to a whole new level of loving one another and speaking life to one another and expressing thankfulness to one another. Speak to us right now. Show us who we're supposed to write to and let the writing flow now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's write our notes.